faith, hope, inspiration, and edification. Welcome to the Edify Podcast with Billy Hallowell, a show that cuts through the cultural noise to explore the biggest headlines and issues of the day. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, what's going on? It's Billy Hollowell. Welcome to the Edify Podcast. I am very, very, very excited for today's show. We're going to get into the biggest headlines of the week, the faith and culture and political headlines you want to hear. But after we do that, and I'm very pumped for this, we're going to actually be talking with two great guests, the Rabbi Abraham Cooper and the Reverend Johnny Moore. They are the authors of the new book, The Next Jihad. And really, this book gets into what's happening to Christians in Nigeria. And this is all about Christian persecution. And really, I think it's a story you might not know anything about. And that's the unfortunate thing about just where we are right now in media. You know, there's so much that's not being reported. Reported. And during an election year, all the energy is on the election. And so you miss so many really essential and important stories. So we're going to be talking with them about what they saw on the ground in Nigeria, what they tell us in the next jihad, and everything we need to know about the Christian persecution story you might not be seeing in the headlines. Now, I want to dive into the headlines. And the first story that caught my eye, and you can find this over on the Christian Post, this is really very interesting. It's the Netherlands. And we have pro-life Activist Lila Rose actually calling some reports out of the Netherlands unbelievably evil. So what are those reports? Well, it turns out there's a controversial euthanasia law, and if you don't know that term euthanasia, it's actually referring to doctor-assisted suicide, okay? So people, when they have certain illnesses, many times the majority terminal illnesses, they will seek out doctor's help to end their lives early. Well, it turns out that very soon the Netherlands could expand that to kids ages 1 to 12, So right now, the doctor-assisted suicide laws for kids over the age of 12 and for adults have been on the books for a bit now, for a while now. Now they're talking about expanding that to one, so that we're talking about a one-year-old, a baby, to 12 years old. According to the reports, this would be made available for terminally ill children, and the change would require parental consent. It would require the, the patient to be suffering, quote, unbearable and endless suffering, and there would need to be two doctors to sign off on that. And so, again, you've got Lila Rose, who is a very prominent um, anti-abortion and pro-life activist here in the U.S., calling those reports, quote, unbelievably evil. And I want to know what you guys think about that. So check that out. Head over to the Christian Post. You can read the full story. Now, another story that caught my eye, Christian humanitarian group Samaritan's Purse is actually— Fascinating. I mean, they do amazing work. This is led by Franklin Graham, the Reverend Billy Graham's son. And Samaritan's Purse is actually continuing its mission of helping COVID-19 patients. They are building, as we speak, an emergency field hospital in Nassau, Bahamas. And so it turns out the Bahamas, like everyone else around the world, are dealing with this issue of COVID and the spread. There have been thousands of cases there. And so Samaritan's Purse, like they did in Italy and New York City, they are coming in. They're building an emergency facility. This will be a 28-bed facility there in Nassau. They've already sent medical staff, doctors, nurses, and others on site to build this. And so we'll be praying for the Bahamas as the country continues to grapple with the illness that really has just um, shocked the world around us and impacted so many here in the United States as well. We have over 200,000 deaths. I believe we're hovering around 219,000 as we speak here in America. So this is this is a big deal. We need prayer for this. We need prayer for the Bahamas and for the U.S. and for the world at large. 
And the third and final story, and I had to bring this up because, I don't know, I mean, how can we avoid the election? We've got to talk about the election. So there is a pastor out in California, Fred Prince Jr. He's a California megachurch pastor, and he's encouraging Christians to vote their conscience in November. But he said that this might mean, and I think this is very interesting, that the decision might actually be to not vote. And I know this is very controversial. Some people feel feel very strongly. I have family members I was speaking with this weekend even who feel you have to vote, that it's essential to vote. But uh, Pastor Prince had said some very interesting things about this. He said, quote, Some of you have decided I'm going to vote for the lesser of two evils. Hey, if that helps you sleep at night, I get it. Do you know that you're still voting for evil? The lesser of two evils is still evil. It's just less evil than the other evil. Now, I want to just note here, he wasn't telling people not to vote. He, in fact, even said that he's planning on personally voting, but he reiterated his call for people to vote their conscience, and he does make an interesting point. Uh, and, of course, somebody could respond and say, well, the the less evil option is still the better one, and I think... Again, he wasn't leading people from what I could tell where to vote. He was just saying that not voting is an option for some people. And so that is intriguing. And I will leave that there and let you let us know what you think about that as well. But head over to thechristianpost.com to read that. And, you know, there's just so much happening right now. I want to encourage you guys to pray. And I think it's so easy in life to just get fired up, frustrated, angry. You see a tweet, a Facebook message, a a family member says something at dinner, you get a text or a tweet uh, from somebody right at you just saying something that's frustrating about politics. And it's so easy to just be us versus them and to just fight with people endlessly about politics and life. But we're not called to that. And I think we have to we have to stop ourselves and remember that if we're Christians, and not everybody listening is a Christian, but let's say you are a Christian and you are called to really reach people with the gospel. If something that you are saying, responding, or doing is going to prevent people from from hearing, seeing, interpreting, or understanding the gospel, it might be that you need to rethink that thing that you're saying, doing, tweeting, Facebooking, or the ways in which you're behaving. And that's a a struggle for all of us. I'm not lecturing because I struggle with that too. And so I just want to encourage you with that. And also, during this difficult time, gratitude. I mean, I have been trying... Because I'm a complainer. I'm a natural-born complainer. And so I have to check myself because that is not something that is good for to be walking around complaining. And in the midst of, of coronavirus, I think a lot of us have, have struggled and we've lost a lot and there's so much frustration and people are out of work and suffering. And so we have to reground ourselves in gratitude because we are we're supposed to be grateful no matter what happens. And that can be tough. And so I just wanted to share Psalm 9-1 because this spoke to me today. And I'm trying to get my kids to be grateful. I mean, that's just an ongoing struggle before COVID, during COVID, reminding them to to focus on others and to be grateful for what they have, not to moan and groan about what they don't have, but to be grateful and be filled with thankfulness. And so Psalm 9-1 reads, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. And it's just like such a simple verse, right? I'll give thanks to you with all my heart. And it doesn't say when I'm happy, you know, when I get the money I need, when I get the job I want. It doesn't say that. It says, I will give thanks to you, Lord, with all my heart. There's no preconditions there. And then it goes on to tell us that, you know, or to say, I will tell of all your wonderful deeds. And so just letting people know how amazing God has been to us, even in our hard times, that speaks volumes for people. Like if I hear, and and honestly, I'm a journalist. I've spent years interviewing people. When I hear somebody have gratitude and express gratitude in the midst of their hardest, most difficult, most daunting, most troubling and painful times, I am moved by that. 
And so we have a chance to move people by being authentic and grateful and just praising God for his wonderful deeds. So Psalm 9-1, write it on a note card, put it on a post-it, remember it, marinate on it. It's a struggle, but that struggle is real, and we've got to meet that struggle where we're at with our faith and inspire others. So when we come back, we will be on with Johnny Moore and Rabbi Abraham Cooper. We'll be right back with more of the Edify podcast. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. Hey, I'm Billy Hollowell, and welcome back to the Edify Podcast. I'm excited to welcome Johnny Moore and Rabbi Abraham Cooper to the show. But before we do, I just want to remind you guys, they are the authors of The Next Jihad. This is a fascinating book, and you really have a great situation here. You've got an evangelical pastor, an Orthodox Jewish rabbi, and the two of them have come together to discuss, to shed light on, and to try to help solve the issue of Christian persecution in Nigeria. So with no further ado, let's welcome them to the Edify Podcast. Podcast. How's it going today? How you both doing? Well, uh, hello from the uh, what do they say from the bunker in Los Angeles, <laughs> lockdown city. Yeah, we're doing fine, thank God. And then from the free hills of Virginia, <laughs> we're, we're doing okay here too. <laughs> You're in Virginia. Well, I'm I'm kind of in the middle because I'm in I'm in New York, and so a lot of our lockdown has sort of lifted, but there's still some things that like I don't know that we'll ever get movie theaters back again. It's so it's such a 2020 has been such a crazy year, but I'm excited to have you both on because we're talking about a book that you have both uh, worked on. It's called The Next Jihad: Stop the Christian Genocide in Africa. Um, so Johnny, can you tell us just a little bit because I think a lot of people unfortunately are not aware of what is happening in Nigeria and in Africa. Can you just give us sort of a, a little bit of a background? Well, as you know, Billy, uh, in, in 2014, 2015, you know, I, I went to Iraq several times at the height of ISIS and met with victims and documented what was happening there. But I think what a lot of people don't realize is that more people and, and Christians, not exclusively so, but, but specifically targeted, have been killed by terrorists in Nigeria uh, than ISIS did in Iraq and Syria. And that, by the way, was also true at the height of ISIS. I mean, this is a, this is a, a longstanding worsening conflict. And my, my good friend, uh, Rabbi Abraham Cooper, you know, from, from the Simon Wiesenthal Center has been tracking this, uh, you know, I, I would say as much as I have, but actually he's been tracking it more than I have. And, and we, we've done a lot around the world and and, and frankly, it was Rabbi Cooper that said, we have to get to Nigeria. We got to sit down with these victims. We got to hear their stories. And so we did that right before the world shut down because of COVID-19. Wow. And thank, thank God you were able to get out there and, and do that. Now, now, Rabbi Cooper, I have a question for you. Why, sure. do you think, why do you think so many people in the public and in the media, I, just, I feel like the media, they're not, I know it gets covered, but it's not being covered enough because people don't know. So what, why do you think that is? I think there are a number of reasons. First of all, uh, even though Nigeria is the largest country in Africa, in many ways the most prosperous, and it's got oil and all the rest of it, uh, getting visuals from the scenes uh, are, are very, very difficult. Uh, no matter what people say, Africa seems like 
somewhere else, far, far away, doesn't impact on me. So yeah, there are a lot of terrible things going on uh, uh, in the world. Um, but you know, obviously, uh, I grew up in the streets of New York, and you know, and I, we had public mentors like Martin Luther King Jr., like Bobby Kennedy, uh, who, especially Re uh, Reverend King, I grew up in the Soviet Jewry movement. Martin Luther King spoke to that issue before Jewish leaders did. So, uh, you know, the, I've always been inspired. I went over to the Soviet Union at the age of 22 for a month and became a great American patriot as a result. But the main thing, the main takeaway was Americans have the opportunity to give voice to the voiceless. And when I was mm -hmm. cracking uh, at the Simon Wiesenthal Center, these uh, uh, actions, we were seeing Nazi-like selection processes, uh, uh, college kids being woken up in the dawn, middle of the night. You know, if you couldn't say the Quran, they assumed you were a Christian, they slit your throat. And along with my colleague, Rabbi Adlerstein, who actually introduced me to Reverend Moore, we started writing about it uh, and we started calling it out for what we thought it was and obviously still do, a theologically fueled campaign uh, against the Christians. And unfortunately, in the previous administration, uh, President Obama's uh, White House and the uh, uh, Secretary of State, etc., they refused to label this as anything more than you know, a tribal, intertribal disturbances. Well, when Americans hear something like that, they just flip the switch. And so here, getting to know someone like uh, uh, Johnny Moore, who was an activist, uh, a believing Christian, all the good, went and put his own safety on the line in terms of saving people uh, in Iraq. Uh, yeah, I kept nudging him and saying, look, Johnny, the, these people, there's no human face, there's no voice, uh, we gotta go. And uh, I'm not sure anybody in this family particularly likes me. My wife gave up a long time ago. But, uh, but I, I'm, glad, I'm glad we went. And of course, what we discovered, uh, as anyone will, any American who you think you're going to help people and you find out that you've been enhanced spiritually as a human being by being exposed to, to, to real people of faith, and as Americans, you know, we still have a lot of clout. There still is the exceptional uh, nation, no matter what people say. And, yeah. uh, you know, we can't leave it to governments. And having people of faith maybe being in the lead uh, might be old-fashioned, but I am a dinosaur, and I'd like to see that come <laughs> back uh, as an important mark for young believers who a lot of Americans believe, you know, there's nothing they can do. You know, they're just one individual. Well, we back to differ. Well, and I think people of faith do the best job at, you know, when, when people of faith, you know, come together and, and try to accomplish something, it's incredible. It's incredible what individual churches and synagogues do and what, you know, the amazing work that goes on. And here you guys are, you're going across the world, you go there. And, and again, thank goodness you're able to do this before COVID really hit and everything shut down. But Johnny, what did you, what did you see? Like, just take us through what you observed when you got there. What was the process like of putting this all together? Well, I, the first thing about The Next Jihad, the, the book, is that we wrote it for one reason, which was to tell the stories of these people. And we made a promise to them. We, we said that we would help be their voice. And, and that's, that's what we got. We, we, we went over, we spent several days hearing from dozens and dozens of victims just one after the other. A friend of ours arranged for them to come meet us in a, in a private setting. 
and we just listened to their stories. We, we, we talked to one young woman uh, who was uh, driving to family members over Christmas. Uh, the car was pulled over on the side of the road. They, they sent uh, the, the Muslims one way. They killed the Christian men. They kidnapped her. And she, she just told us her unbelievable story. And she, she had no one that, that the kidnappers could call for a ransom. And so uh, the only person she could think of was her local church pastor. And, and the pastor and she were sitting with us telling the story. And the pastor said the kidnappers called him and he didn't know what to do. He sold everything he had. He sold everything the church had. He got just enough money to, to, to rescue her. And it's, a, it's an amazing, so you have, to, you have to read it. Like he's literally standing at the podium of the church and his cell phone's ringing. He's in the middle of a sermon and it just rings and rings and rings. He keeps hitting the red button, hitting the red button. And finally he answers it, standing at the podium while he's preaching a Sunday sermon and it's her kidnappers. And he does wow. everything he can. And, and thank God, you know, he was able to free her, but with no help from the government, no help from the police, no help from anybody. And uh, Rabbi and I were sitting there talking to him afterwards. And, uh, and, and he said, oh, yeah, uh, I, I'm in my second burnt down church. And, and, then, and then we asked him a question, you know, kind of an insensitive question. But, but we said, you know, like, why do you keep doing this? You could go to a more secure part of the country, another country. You don't have to live in this chaos every single day. And he just looked at us, you know, with this look in his eyes, like, how can I leave these people? You know, the, this is my community. And he literally risks his wow. life every single day. And I got chills when you said that because I'm thinking it's so convicting too, right? Because we we complain about all sorts of silly things in our lives and they're not silly in the moment. They matter, but they're minor things. And then here you are telling the story about, about somebody risking everything to be somewhere for people. That is, yeah, that is stirring. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue, no, but, but it just no, it got me, you know? Yeah, there's so many pieces of this. So like in the book, there's one chapter where we just like list the churches that have been burned down and the people that have been killed. And it is just, just goes on. And we're not talking about 10 people and one attack. We're talking about hundreds of attacks, tens of thousands of people. In all likelihood, you know, before we're done with this conversation, somebody's life or livelihood has been endangered over there and nobody will know their name and nobody will know their story, but it's a snapshot of a much, much bigger problem that has to be solved like right now, not tomorrow, you know, like, like right now. So, you know, we're, we're talking about uh, Nigeria, the, the nation and the government, they're not our enemy. Uh, they have all the trappings of democracy. They should be, you know, really in great shape. But the, there is corruption. There are other issues that are tangential to this issue. But, you know, when we sat down with the PR hacks of both the president, who's a Muslim, and the vice president, who's a Christian, they were both pastors. And one of them spent nine years in Astoria, Queens, if anyone's watching from that zip code. Oh, wow. Now, you know, I, I'm just a punk who grew up in the streets of New York. So, you know, I only know one way in dealing with those kinds of folks. And our bottom line message to anyone who would listen is we don't care if you call it a police action or you call it terrorism. Do your job. Protect your citizens. Have a judiciary that actually holds perpetrators accountable. It's not like this is a, you know, a poor third rate country that has no army, no police. Right. They, got, they have the full structure. But there is just something endemic about it. And of course, we also found out that there are a million kids 
on the streets of Nigeria, not in school. Maybe. Why? What drives that? What What is the driving force behind that? It, it's a it's a combination of all kinds of things. I mean, it's a you know, it, it's it's there's plenty of poverty. There's there's all kinds of corruption. There, but but ultimately, these are rule of law issues. And complicating the matter is the religious tension in the country. And and one of the things that we that we're saying is religion is part of the problem. It's also part of the solution. Right. But it, but it is part of the of the problem. And there is this, you know, in, in the in the present constitution of the country, for instance, you know, there are um, dozens and dozens and dozens of references to, to, to Islam, which makes sense. Half the country is Muslim, but there are hardly any references to, you know, the, the Christian community, for instance. In fact, there isn't one at all. And so religious freedom generally couched on all these Islamic words and, and bits of language. And so, you know, the terrorists are killing everybody that stands in their way. You know, they're killing every Muslim that stands in their way while they're attempting to eradicate Christians from their, their part of the country. But it is a country where like more than 10 states actually have Sharia law in the state, okay, wow. alongside of the democratic constitution. So, so their immediate security needs, their educational needs, their, their, their food security needs, there, there's also a real necessity to say, are you a democracy or not? Because if you are, you can have freedom of religion where everybody can have their religion, but that freedom of religion can't in, impose on the basic human rights of other people. Right. Now, even in the lawless parts of the country, you know, there's a lot of effort to, to just give every other reason for all of this happening. But the fact of the matter is you have terrorists uh, screaming terrorist words as they, uh, mantras, as they raise Christian villages and the government, like religion aside, this is a security issue. Arrest criminals who kill people. Like, right, right. It, so, it, uh, if I could just uh, add one other point that we learned sort of front, when we were talking to government officials and others. You know, right now, Libya is a failed state. That's up North Africa. Uh, ISIS and some other really bad players and actors, they're already uh, right there uh, on the borders. Some say they're already in. Look at Chad. Uh, the bottom line is that for ISIS, between oil and a million potential recruits and the poverty and the corruption, uh, this is a huge target. The United States government knows about that part of it, and it's a regional thing. But uh, even for those who are not yet believers, uh, it, it's a very important, uh, I think, important issue. John and I have spoken about in the last couple of weeks. On one way, this is absolute insanity to release the book right now. You have the presidential campaign, everyone's screaming at each other. But our point is, whomever is sitting in the Oval Office on January 20th, there's no escaping this issue. Right, it's, it has to be done People to do good. The main text, of course, that we want, the main point we want to get across is that believers have the opportunity here real quickly uh, to be impact players. But there's also a subtext uh, to once upon a time when we were, I was growing up, that when it came to human rights, we had a term called bipartisanship. I know it's, uh, you have to, you know, look <laughs> What does that mean? I gotta Google I that. that word. I'm, I'm, gonna Google it. It. I'm not sure. I think Twitter has blocked it. So I'm not, <laughs> not exactly sure. But that's really with the end of the day where we need to get back to, because I'm sure some of the people watching are saying, oh, Nigeria? Yeah, that, that's terrible. But I got seven other issues we should be involved with. And of course, to that, we would say amen. But, but let's look at the two of you. 
the two of you are different. You have different viewpoints. You have different religious backgrounds, right? It's Evangelical, true, I, Jewish, and you've come together to address this issue. Yeah, I'm a Mets fan, so I, you know, I, <laughs> I have to confess before. Oh, some things aren't forgivable, right? Yeah, there are there are other divisions going on apparently yeah, too. No accounting for taste. But the truth is, you know, as someone, why why uh, uh, Reverend Moore and I became uh, fast friends? Why would he, why did he become the youngest person that the Simon Wiesenthal Center ever honored with our Medal of Valor. It's because the Jewish instinct is to act, not just to talk. And so many people were bemoaning correctly the horrific uh, evolving disaster uh, in, uh, in, in Iraq and in Syria against the Christians and Yazidis and others. Very few people then went and did something about it. Yeah. When Johnny Moore showed that it was possible to do the impossible, that's exactly the kind of individual we seek to honor always. And frankly, he's exactly the type of guy that I can pick up the phone to and say, you know, there's a flood in uh, a big flood in Sudan. What are we going to do? Or I just came. This is actually did happen three years ago. I came back from my first trip to Bahrain, which is one of the two countries that now has made peace. We met with the king and others. I called up Johnny and I said, look, I just went to this place called Bahrain. I need you to go there. And by the way, you have to go there over a weekend because what I experienced in an Arab capital, I didn't think was possible. There churches and, and, and Hindus and all the rest. I thought maybe they just did, you know, tried to pull the wool over. I said, you got to get on a plane and go to Bahrain. And that's the level of the relationship. We're both blessed to have, you know, flexibility. I've been with the Simon Wiesenthal Center now in our 44th year. And I was lucky enough to have a mentor in, in Simon Wiesenthal, the great Nazi hunter, and a boss, Rabbi Marvin Heyer, the, the founder of the, of the Wiesenthal Center, who gives me the flexibility uh, and the trust to go. You know, we don't always succeed, but the main point here is Judaism, at least the way I was brought up, we are junior partners of the good Lord. That's why he put us here. Does he need us to be? No, but that's sort of uh, what he gave us, the freedom of choice. He's given us an intellect and we are junior partners, which means no matter how big the problem, at least start doing something. And one way or the other, as Shakespeare in love always would say, right? We don't know how it works out. But somehow in the end, some good things can happen. You know what I love about this interview? You guys are so brilliant and you're both so good at this. That I don't even have to do anything. I'm just here <laughs> today. I mean, I'm letting you guys run this, which is great. I mean, well, and so I, I love these kinds of interviews because but what you're talking about is so important. You know, everything from the division down to actually doing something about a, a problem that people don't even know is a problem because they're not hearing about it. And so that's why we're talking about it now. Before we go, I want to ask you both and you know, feel free to take as much time as you need to. And Johnny, you shared a story before. Maybe that's the one. And I'll start with you. But what is the one story, and I want to hear from both of you, that that really just stuck with you or or hit you in the heart the most when you went and, and worked on this book project? Well, uh, there are so many of them, including the one I shared with you. But, but I'm going to share a different one, uh, a whole different context, because there are two things going on in this book. Uh, the first thing is what's happening in Nigeria. And the second thing is what the rabbi was talking about a few moments ago. Uh, it's this unique partnership that he and I have forged uh, in advancing good, you know, around the world, separated by generations. Uh, we, we spend most of our time on different sides of the United States, 
you know, we're, we're, you know, he's Jewish and I'm Christian. You know, we're in, we're in there are all kinds of things that are different about us. Uh, but at the very, very back of the book uh, is Rabbi Cooper's story, uh, which is reflecting on 50 years nearly of human rights uh, work you know, around the world. And there are all kinds of parts of history that I didn't know about the Soviet Jewry movement, about all of these uh, um, battles that had been fought fought before. And so, you know, as we're as we're going through and telling the stories of all these people in need, uh, the, the, the women that have been kidnapped, some of them that are still held captive, the, uh, the, the young seminarian uh, who, was, who was killed when all of his compatriots were released, but he was killed because he kept, he wouldn't stop talking about his faith to his kidnapper and he annoyed the kidnapper and the kidnapper killed them. The people who refused to convert under the, under the, uh, under the knife, it's all, in the, it's all in the book. But the book also has that, that element of it, which, uh, uh, which, which really has helped me and inspired me over recent years a lot. Wow. So well, thank you for sharing uh, that. Yeah. So for me, I think one of the points you'll see also uh, uh, in, in the book um, is that we probably met about 90 people in, in a few short days. The majority of them were still in shock. Some of them traveled for days through dangerous territory to come because they understood they may actually have a platform to be heard. It was extremely difficult for them and even more difficult for us to ask them in real time, okay, tell us exactly what happened. It was extremely rough, especially for that nine-year-old girl who, who saw her family slaughtered in front of her, who was with her uncle. Uh, you know, luckily I give out Laffy Taffy's in my synagogue, so I, I had a stash of candy in the next room, and that was one way to get the little girl smile. But... The, the one moment that uh, will always stick with me, and I've already shared this with, uh, with family and, and, and Jewish friends, uh, we were at a lunch at one of the major churches, activist churches, uh, in the uh, outskirts of Abuja. And there were about, I guess, what, 25 survivors, additional, who were over lunch, where each one got up and told their story heart-wrenching. And towards the end, there was one woman, and what she just described was the entire destruction of her life, of her family, of her community. I think with the exception of, of one a child uh, who was in and out of hospitals, uh, it, it was uh, gut-wrenching. And then before she sat down, she quoted Psalms. Uh, and I'll quote it for you in Hebrew, because I understood, Lo amut This comes from our Hallel. When we have a Hallel prayer, Hallelujah prayer, right? On all of our festivals. And it quotes, it's, it's all King David Psalms put in a certain order. It quotes this line, I won't die, yea, I will live. And I will talk to people about God's great actions. And I couldn't help it. I got up and then finished her sentence in Hebrew. She was talking in English. And that moment, uh, which I shared with my wife, who leads a Psalms uh, women's group every Monday night now by Zoom for people who are ill with COVID, et cetera. And to be able to share that, um, it was for me, uh, an amazing moment of uh, humility, which I always need, 
but also of, of explaining, and I have to be very careful here. I'm an Orthodox Jew, so it's probably a waste of time for anybody who's interested in putting up an evangelical uh, catch. It's not my thing, and etc. But I do respect people of faith, and I'm not, and, and you know, Johnny is the kind of person who threatens to give Christianity a good name. I love that line. That's a good line, and it's true. It is. It is, it is true. It is true. And that's, I think, for those of us who we say we have the chutzpah to sort of be quote-unquote dubbed as faith leaders, um, I think that's the one question that the heavenly court is going to ask us. Did you give faith slash, did you give God a good name in your efforts? Why, you know, why ISIS and Al-Qaeda and all these groups infuriate us so much and people like the late President Wahid of Indonesia, who was a friend, you know, we, we each have our own path, but we instinctively know what the good Lord expects of each of us, but especially of people who say they are people of faith. So we mm -hmm. have an extra responsibility, or as President Wahid once said at a conference that we did right, at, right after 9-11 in Indonesia, his message to his daughter was, once upon a time, when people heard the word religion, that was a blessing. And let's be honest, in the age we live in, religion more often than not is a curse. So it's up to us, you know, to reverse it. It's a, it's a long climb. Uh, we're flawed, as I admitted my own, uh, you know, baseball uh, <laughs> adherence for decades to the, to the lowly Mets. There's no logic behind that. So we're all flawed. But uh, I, I think the other little piece of this uh, is that this is a book and a friendship that can only have taken place, incubated and flower and continue in the United States of America. There is, this is a uniquely American. So for, for Americans who are going to read uh, this book, I think it'll be an interesting just sort of clearing of the air because there's no one out there talking to this. Everything here, uh, what was it, Dianne Feinstein, who's 87, hugs another senator, and all of a sudden they say, throw her out. I could not believe that, by the way. <laughs> just like that, that to me that's what we need right we're looking at that this is what we need more of and the reaction right. to that was everything that is wrong <laughs> with you where know, we are we're not enemies right that's the point we, yeah. if we treat despite the fact there are those that want to and very powerful forces this book and certainly our friendship in a small way should remind everyone like what are you wasting your time name calling roll up your sleeves work together where you can it will bring about good things. And if you happen to be a person of faith, I think God's going to like you a little bit better. You know, that is a perfect place for us. I lied to you guys. I said, we're going to talk for 15 minutes. We talked for 25 minutes because this is an important issue. I want everybody who's watching or listening to grab the next Jihad, go wherever books are sold, grab copies of it, share it with others, read about it, understand the issues. This is important. Thank you both so much for coming on today. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Thanks, really. An honor. 
And that brings us to the end of the Edify podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. And make sure you grab copies of The Next Jihad. This is an important issue. We need to understand it, take action, try to prevent it, and turn to prayer. Because this is just unbelievable that in 2020, these are the kinds of things that are happening still in our world. So check it out, The Next Jihad, wherever books are sold. And be sure to tune in next time for another episode of the Edify podcast. Thanks for listening to the Edify podcast. For more transformational and faith-inspiring podcasts, head over to edify.app, where you can stream thousands of Christian shows right now. And for convenience on the go, download the Edify podcast app today from the Apple and Google Play stores and at edify.app.